So here's the message. Who are you? Who are you? It's a really important question, honestly. Think about it. You, I, we determine who we are almost subconsciously. Certain external influences affect how we, almost like behind the scenes mentally, determine our value, our identity. And so who are you? According to other people, according to your parents. Your parents are not the most honest people around. So those of you kids here track with me. Mom, dad, don't get all wound up. But see, they love you, and they will look at the good side of you, and they'll correct you, and they'll bring these things. So sometimes, you know, like... I'm Danny to my mom before she passed. I'm, she's the only one to get away with that. But she knew me differently, so she, she, she kind of had a different ex- expression and encouragement to me. Um, grandma, grandpa, some relatives. Now, your know, siblings are not a good way to measure who you are, correct? Because they're just messed up most of the time. You know, I mean, they're either nice or they're not, you know, and so that's not a good measure. What about your friends? Well, friends are good. They're an encouragement. They're, they're a gift from the Lord. The Bible speaks about how when we have friends and we have these connections and we have this ability to interact, it's amazing. It really affects our, our um, whole outlook in a, in a good way. But sometimes friends aren't so friendly all the time, correct? Sometimes that one that you confided in and were so close to is now actually not so, so close to you anymore. So with that, we can't make our determination based on friends, so to speak. Who are you? Classmates tell you? Okay. Who are you according to you? According to me, according to you, who who are you? Because it changes, correct? This is my scan mode. So here's what I'm seeing. There's this wide range of ages here right now. So... Who are you? When you were five, who were you? Spider-Man? Superman? Whatever it may be. You know, because that, seriously, you remember those days? It's like, okay, who are you when you're 12? Because it's probably not the same. Or 17. Or 25. Who are you? How do you decide? How do you reconcile? How do you... And we have a lot of terms like self-esteem and other different things to kind of describe some of these processing, but it's important that we understand and work through who are you according to you? Because you can be your own support, your best support, and your biggest enemy, agreed? Sometimes you're worse on you than anybody else would be towards you. So who are you? According to your creator, who are you? Because that's really important, agreed? And, And many of us don't understand how our creator is in a relational sense towards us. We've heard things in in terms that are churchy, so to speak. They they perceive that way, like the gospel. We've heard, you know, terms that are, you know, more in church stuff, phrase, or mind. But but do they actually describe how God actually is and who God is? So it's very fascinating, because think about this. I use that to get us to thinking a little more and realizing we... We just don't get it sometimes. I am speaking for myself, but I'm pretty confident it's a pretty much a 100% thing. We just don't get it. We live in a very fascinating time in human history. 
Because it's the only time we've lived, it's all we know, so it's easy to just get used to it, correct? You have in your possession the power to compute and calculate, to conduct business, to communicate audibly and visually. You're globally connected to watch world events unfold in real time. And we treat that, that's like, that's no big deal. I can't even find my phone. It's no big deal. So we just all do that, correct? Do you realize that is so unique? The capacity and the ability, you can run a business on the side for something to do and have more effectiveness, efficiency, and you know, business power than a, a large facility would have had 25 years ago. You, you, can, you know what's happening around the world, agreed? You see it happening, and yet, what's happening in our world? There is more unhappiness. There is more sorrow. There's more loneliness. This is documented. This is statistical truth. There is more loneliness than ever before. In developed, uh, digitally well-equipped nations, the ones that should be more happy, more content, the ones that literally are affluent, and I don't have time to get into the definition there, but we live in an affluent society comparatively to the rest of the world. In those nations, depression, despair, disappointment, and suicide are at epidemic levels. And for some reason, it's not talked about. Some reason, it's just, just continue on status quo. Looking for the new iPhone, looking for the new technology, watching the new breakthrough. But guess what? People are breaking. It's just, it's not working. Well, why? Why would it not work? I can't convey it clearly enough. It's a fascinating time in history we live in. We have what others longed for, and they couldn't even imagine what we carry in our pockets. They're so readily available to us. They just can't, and we're just like, meh. It's just we have. Why is, why are these other negatives so high? Well, obviously, there's many contributing issues, but the main factors reside in this. Who are you? Who are you? If technology can't define you, if technology disappoints you, if relationships leave you lacking, longing, if all these things that seem to be the pinnacle, the, the point, the, what we rise to, yeah, if I had that, then it would be better, okay. And proven statistically, Attaining and arriving does not mean joy, happiness, in any sense of, of a sense of accomplishment. It just leads to the next thing. How do you view yourself? How do you respond to someone else's view of you? Let's pray. God, probing questions that you really unveil from your word in many different phrases and sentences and topics and passages. You, you probe us and remind us and reveal to us who you are and who we are. And so, God, I just pray today would be a, literally a breakthrough day for all of us. Not because we have mentally identified something or, or humbly agreed, but because we've encountered you, God, the living God. You reside within us when we receive your forgiveness when we're born again according to your word. 
you take up residence and reside within us and you lead us and guide us in truth. So may you meet us here today. May you reveal truth to us. If there's anyone here today, God, who has not yet come into a born-again relationship with you, would you bring them to that point today that they can decide whether to follow you or to turn from you? Guard us, guard all of us from religion and its systems and its processes and bring us into a deeper, genuine, true relationship with you, God. Walk us through your word today for your glory and for our joy. We ask this in your name. Amen. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 51. Many of you know it. it it's what, I want to go through this because it's, I believe, such a beautiful picture of working through life, if you would. We have, and I can't get into the, I don't have time to get into all the details. Those of you who have studied it, you know this is King David's uh, echo. It's the heart of a man who had the perfect perspective in the middle of a hot mess. A hot mess. That's a common term nowadays. And if you, you know, cold messes are seemed like easier to clean up, but hot mess just conveys this is going to cool down and get worse. You know, so here's David, and you, you may know about him a little bit. We're going to read the first uh, four verses, and I want to read what is inserted by the publisher um, in the New King James, the title and a little bit of intro before you get to verse 1. We'll bring it up on projection because it's important. It's, it's one of those times in the Bible that it gives us a background. A prayer of repentance to the chief musician. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. It goes on to say in verse 1, David petitioned to God. His pouring out of his heart says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. So what's going on? As we've seen from the intro, it's a psalm of David. David, King David, the, the, what's referred to as the psalmist. That's one who writes psalms and poetry. The sweet psalmist of Israel. A man who you would look at and go, man, he, he is really a man's man. He's a together man. He's an all-around man, if you would. He, he was a king. He was a commander of the army. He was a bold soldier. And he had a little soft side, a little chick side, so to speak, too. He, he would write poetry. He would play instruments. It was a really, if you think of a unique blend of, of a person, a very full-rounded, well-rounded person, if you would. But David, he had really things going his way. And, and he dealt with some adversity and some challenges with his siblings and some issues, you know. But he, he was successful and everything was working. And in the midst of that, he messed it up. He chose to go against God's direction. At a time when the kings go out to battle, David stayed back. And David made one foolish decision after another. He stayed back. He gave himself liberty to not work like he should. He made it so he can just kind of chill and relax. He put himself where he'd be tempted. He gave in to temptation. 
He then tried to cover up that mistake, that decision, by, by, you know, just, he literally had a guy murdered and other people died in the process to cover up his indiscretion. And guess what happened? He got away with it. He got away with it for a little while, because that's what happens for a little while. He never got away with it. We're told in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the very end of that chapter, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord totally knew what David had done. And so God sends a man by Nathan, by the name of Nathan. He's, he's titled as a prophet. He, he, in that time, as you read, out, read about there in first, or 2 Samuel 11 and 12, you know, the prophets came and literally spoke the word of God. And so Nathan comes and says, David, what's going down? What's up? Oh, man, things are good. You know, things are good. Hmm. So there's this guy in your kingdom. He kind of just, he didn't do things right. And he kind of, you know, ripped this person off, so to speak. And, you know, he just didn't treat a traveler well. And David pops a gasket. David's like, that dude's going to die. He's going to repay. He just goes over the top because Nathan's telling him there's this guy that's doing wrong. And he was the first one to say, you the man. You the man, David. You were the one who did this. Now David's busted. Now David is dealing with, oh my gosh, I am busted. And, and most of us, when we get busted, we kick into cover-up 2.0. But no, see, David's different. He's interesting. He humbled himself before God. And this is what we see here in in Psalm 51, is his response to the Lord. And so he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. I want to use this and and walk this through. Remember, we're processing who who you are. You're individually. I'm presenting it as a a concept and and a point to kind of reason from. Who are you? Well, David understands who he is because he knows a little more about who God is. See, David knew God's character. And David knew God was faithful. Why do we know that? Because he asked for mercy based on who God is, not based on who David is. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. See, it's really important to know how God is, agreed? It's going to affect how you deal with yourself in a big way. So David, we realize he's seeing, like he's, he's understanding how, how God is. Because situations will shake you, agreed? situations, whatever you go through, self-manifested or just brought upon you, they'll shake you. They'll cause you like, oh. So those are a challenge. How will God handle them? How will he deal with you? And not only will situations shake you, sin will lie to you. Sin will lie to you. It'll, It'll be the source for this thought that says, it's okay. And then, bam, you're hurting. Things aren't okay. Sin will then lead to more lies and more sin. This is a process humanity, every individual, has had to deal with. It's called temptation. And, and some of it you've, you've done well. You've resisted. And other times you're like, ugh. Because see, realize sin will lie to you, and sin will lead you to more lies and more sin. It made me think that just analytically, just looking at it, like, man... 
including myself, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sinners think God is mad at them. Agreed? Sinners, those who have done wrong according to God's direction for their life, they, they think God's mad at them. And, and I think we can all agree with that. Because he should be. You're a loser. You know what I'm saying? You've done things you know you shouldn't do. So therefore, God's obviously upset with me because I knew what to do and what I should. I knew right and wrong. And I did wrong. So therefore, he's going to be pretty torn to me. So there's a kind of a conclusion. But here's the thing. It's, just, it's as if he didn't know your potential to lie, cheat, steal, mislead, or be prideful. Do you, do you see what that's saying? It's like, God, you, you just, just didn't realize how bad I can be. And he's like, let's talk about that. <laughs> see, really? Because it's really interesting. If you, it, I'm, just telling, I'm just asking you to just do this like, breakdown of, of how you deal with issues. And, and you know, man, I, I realize sometimes I, I just don't get it. It doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't say it's okay because, you know, everybody does it. But you got to realize God is bigger than you. Is God different when you do dumb things? Think about that. Is God different when you do dumb things? Well, obviously no, because he's smarter than you're stupid. Does that make sense? I know it's too crude for church sometimes, but it's okay. The fact is, there's, we just do something, oh, man, and here's a response. I know this. Oh, God, man, I'm out. I, I can't go. I'm just such a mess. It's as if we perceive he had no idea how bad we could be. And, and I want you to change your perspective of God. Do you realize, do I process and, and embrace? He saved you. He brought salvation to me. Knowing my sin previously, knowing my sin currently, and knowing my potential in the future, and he still saved you and me. He didn't say, listen, I'm going to start right here with you. If you keep it together, you stay the course, you get to go to heaven. If not, it's going to be hot. It's like, it's like we're trying to make sure we stay in his good graces. You've got to realize the, 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 the largeness of God. See, David, we know, and you can, you can break this down from the study of Scripture and, and seeing what is revealed about this scenario. David was upset with himself, and you should be. Agreed? Are you not upset with yourself when you do something wrong? Okay, don't raise your hand. But have you ever lied to your mom and dad? Have you ever... Okay, well, you don't lie. You just hold, withhold truth that's more beneficial to your position. You just, it's called misleading. You let them draw their own conclusions because you only give them sufficient information to conclude what you hope they will conclude. It, it's called deception. Have you ever done that? We have. We all have at one point or another. So, you know, it's like, do you get upset with yourself? You do. And when you get upset with yourself, then you get down on yourself. And when you get down on yourself, you get better at doing dumb things. So sin leads you to a lie, leads you to what? more sin. And because it's weighty, it weighs on you, you find yourself then going, man, I can't, I can't do this anymore. David was upset with himself. David was discouraged because he let people down. You know the feeling. When you let someone down because you did something you knew you weren't supposed to do, it's called sin. And then you get not only upset with yourself, but you're now bummed out because you just, you just it's, man, I just know it's not helping people. It hurt my friend. It hurt my spouse. It hurt whoever it was. 
So what's your reaction? What's your feeling? You're lowered. You're down. But David understood who God was. He also understood he would be corrected for his actions. You know, one thing that is so important to realize is when I, when you, when we sin, there are consequences to our actions. It's got nothing to do with God's love. Well, it does because he, he loves us and that's why he corrects us. But there's consequences to our actions. See, sometimes people think that when they get corrected or disciplined or, you know, they think punished for doing wrong, then, then God must no longer like them. He must be upset. Once again, guess what? The creator is mad. He's got his finger on the red button, said lightning. He's got his GPS putting in your coordinates, and you're going to fry. He's like, oh, he's going to do that. No, he's not. David trusted God. Don't focus on your failure. Don't focus on your faults. Don't focus on your foolishness. Humbly learn to follow Jesus. It's essential. It's non-negotiable. It's, it's, it's where many Christians have faltered and, and fallen. They don't realize their foundation. God is trustworthy and God is knowable. He is knowable. Why would he give you and I this and preserve it through history? And then say, good luck, you can't figure it out anyway. He gives us his word. He shows that we can know him. Look in verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. David is realizing something that you know and I know and we've experienced. Even though I know God's trustworthy... My sin is always before me. Notice, he is not saying she did it. My parents did it. Other people caused problems in my life. Grow up. Seriously. You deal with you. And that's for all of you, whether you're 7 or 77, or beyond or before. <laughs> We've got to realize, David owned it. This is mine. And he also recognized, I can't get rid of it of my own. Have you ever heard this? This will haunt me to my grave. I had someone say that one time. They knew their sin, what they had done, would haunt them to their grave. And so it's always before you. You know what I'm talking about. Say, say for example, this would never happen here, probably maybe in a different church somewhere else. But, you know, you just kind of make a few comments about somebody that was at church today. And you're kind of like, ooh, I shouldn't have said it that way. But you're kind of caustic and a little critical. But you're right. You told truth. You know, they were doing dumb things. And, but you're kind of, eh. And then you, you walk away and you realize, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And it kind of eats at you that you were kind of a gossipy person. Like, oh, man. But then you realize, but they, that's true. They are kind of that way. And you're working it out. And you're going to Walmart after church. And you're going to pick up biscuits for an after church food thing. And you get there, and you come around the corner, and here's somebody comes around the corner at an end cap. There's that person. And what do you remember about that person? Your sin is always before you. And so well, this is what usually happens. Not, I mean, this is just hypothetical, not any face here, of course. Oh, hi, how you doing? It's so good to see you. You just ripped them. And now you said this, and now you're going to leave because you're not going to have a big confrontation and start throwing, you know, packages in Walmart at each other. So you have this confrontation, and you move away, and you're like, man, and now you're thinking, oh, I'm such a hypocrite. I ripped him in church and said those things, and then I see him here, and I'm all real nice to him. Now I'm going away, and I'm like, I'm such a hypocrite. Your sin is always before you. You know the majority, I'm not I can't say the majority, but it's a phenomenal how much money 
is spent in our culture through training, teaching, therapy, um, psychology, all these different things to try to tell people your sin is not a problem. Your sin is a problem. It's your biggest problem. It's got nothing to do with the environment you grew up in. It's got, all those things are factors. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's irrelevant stuff. But do you understand? Our sin is always before us. So people are prescribed things. They spend hours in conversation with a, a licensed somebody. And then they do all this stuff to alleviate the consequences of something that's always before them. It's called sin. It, 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 it's going away from God's design. And so what do you do? How do we handle it? I, I can't break this portion of Scripture down entirely, but I can jump to verse 10 if you'll go with me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. That is a petition from a person who knows they need God's forgiveness, who's asking ultimately from a, for a fresh start. God, could you, in any the context, as you carry from 3 to 10, gives you a little more insight into some things. But he's just asking for God to cleanse his heart. He doesn't have a New Year's resolution relationship with Jesus. Okay, I'm never going to do this again. From now on, I'll do it right. I'll get it right. I'll be right. I am right because you're righteous. I'm going to do it. No, he just says, I, I need less of me and more of you. I, I need you to create in me, to reform. And, and it literally, you know, a clean heart is just meaning not just a rinsed heart, but a thoroughly flushed and scrubbed heart is what it would convey. Something that is just from the innermost part. You know, we know that, you know, deep within us, you know, the Word of God, according to Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God cuts deep into our heart. And it cuts past the, the bone and the marrow and the, all these other things. And, and it says in that passage I'm referencing that it gets to the thoughts and the intents and the motives of our heart. It cuts those things loose so we can actually have a true, understandable relationship with God because we're not shackled, entangled, and, and functionally tied to sin. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, there's people right here today that at one point you had a steadfast spirit before the Lord. You were, you were aware, you were alert, you were spiritually alive. But sin, perhaps? Maybe it's just simple disappointment. It says also in Hebrews that there's this weight which so easily entangles us. And then there's this sin. So weight, just the weightiness of this world can just kind of weigh you down. And maybe this is your first time back to church, or maybe you've been coming for a little while and you're kind of getting your feet against, you realize you, you desire a steadfast spirit. A steadfast spirit stays true during the storms. A steadfast spirit is one that's not self-reliant. But as you see, God created me a clean heart and renew. God, could you renew me? Does, does anybody need a little renewal? You don't raise your hand. Just think about it. I think most of us are in need of renewal. We're in need of refreshing. I don't care how you phrase it. It's a relational sense, a rational, relational realization that says, God, I just, I just want more of you. I don't want religion. I don't want all this system stuff. I just, I just want to know what it's like to walk with you and, and, and be close to you. And, and he says there, you know, in verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So you have something that David didn't fully realize at this point. See, David 
grew up and, and actually learned king things a little bit from Saul, King Saul. He mainly learned what not to do as a king. And, and King Saul, you know, he, he had these fits of rage. And literally we're told that the, the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. And I believe David was aware of that. He, I believe he was aware because, well, Saul tried to pin David against a wall with a spear. I'm pretty sure that wasn't a righteous move directed by God. You know what I'm saying? So David, seeing these times when the Holy Spirit wasn't leading his life. But you and I live in a, in a dispensation, which is a time frame. We live here on this side of the cross where the Holy Spirit indwells us and will not leave us. David seen it at a time prior to the cross where literally the Holy Spirit would come upon the judges, come upon Samson, come upon different people, and, and then depart because he would come upon them for a purpose and a work in a moment. So does that help you see? I, I want to make sure so you don't think that, okay, if I do wrong, the Holy Spirit will depart from me. No, God, God clarified that on the cross. He, he, he accomplished his purposes, which all led to the cross, and now we live in the victory of the cross with him never leaving us nor forsaking us. And so here you see the, the core of the request, the petition, if you would. Don't take your presence from me. I need your Holy Spirit. I need you, God. I cannot do religion. I cannot do this church stuff. I cannot. I don't want to. I need you, God, to form me and shape me and change me and do what only you can do in me, carrying us to verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The salvation you own, you have, I have, is his salvation given to us. Your salvation. And what's he request? Restore to me the joy. There's way too many Eeyore Christians. Seriously, I know I'm going back in time to even, you know, mention Pooh Bear and Eeyore and Tigger because that may be antiquated. But you get it. Oh, bother. Here we go again. Another message about trust in Jesus. Oh, that's a good message. I sure love God. Wow. I'm convinced. You're so excited. You know what I mean? It's like so many Christians are like, well, I'm glad and I'm not like I used to be because, you know, I used to have fun and now I love Jesus. Oh my gosh, what happened to your brain? It's like, I, I, yeah, there's so much more to enjoy. There's so much more to life. When you live not shackled to sin and free, literally, from the inside, you, it's like, wipe that, 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 that sadness off your face. Literally, and it, it, I, I mean it. Sometimes we just, we just get so weighed down. I get it. I've been there. I, I understand this sense of depression. Not clinical, but where you're, you're, the Bible says anxiety in the heart of a man weighs him down. Some translations say cause depression. And so I, I understand it, but sometimes you just have to say, God, I am, that's not me. I'm a child of the living God. You, you paid for my sin. You, you freed me from sin. You, you are God. And we have to, I know it's not, it's not uh, PMA, positive mental attitude. It's not, you know, try a little train that thinks he can. I think I can. I think I can. No, no. See, this is, this is David saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your stingy attitude. Wait, my bad. Uphold me by your generous spirit. He, he's not saying to you and me, listen, I want you to suffer now so you appreciate heaven later. 
There's no way. He's generous. He's saying, I want you to know my forgiveness, my love, my joy, my power. Too many Christians live without the true experience of the power of God. They have the doctrine. They have the belief. But they're not plugged in. And I can't get into all the reasons for that. But do we walk in the power of God? Or do we just walk in the cerebral certainty that the doctrine is true? I think, I think there's something more, heart issue, reality, to walk in the power of God. And I believe it begins right here with a mindset that says, God, I, I, I don't think I have it all figured out. Too many Christians have it all figured out. And, and it's going to get worse for them because it isn't going to figure out. If you haven't figured out that the world can't be figured out, then you need to figure out that you haven't figured out that the world can't be figured out. You need figures, right? I mean, some of you lost me when I said figured. I just want to encourage you, make this your petition. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your gracious, your generous spirit. I'll just say it this way in coming to the end. I didn't say closing because that means I'm finishing up for sure, but I'm something different. Know who you are before God. Know who you are before God. Who you are before God is who you are. You can fool Christians. You can do it subconsciously or consciously. You can just get into a rut, in a groove, and just, you know, people will pat you on the back. You can see everything together, but you can be completely coming apart. Know who you are before God. People change. Your view of you will probably change. God's view of you doesn't change. God's view of you doesn't change. He loves you, and he has proved his love for you. He loved you when you rejected him. Have you set that in your mind alongside the certainty of salvation? When you were a sinner, he loved you just as much as he does now. He didn't say, well, now I love the kid. Now he's lovable. He, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me because I, I just don't, I can't do that apart from his love within me. He loved those who hate. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They, they crucified him. And he loved them just as much then as he does now. And he loves you just as much when you were rejecting him and rebelling towards him or whatever your deal was. He loves you just as much then as he does now. I can't reconcile that, can you? That's a majesty and a magnitude of love and a type of love that's beyond a human level. But it's still proven. What would be the epitome? What would be the pinnacle, the mountain peak of love, the action of love? For God so loved the world that he gave himself. He came as a man took upon himself the burden and the weight and the pain of sin, did not sin, lived a sinless life. He did not sin, which enabled him then to die for the sins of humanity because he had no sin debt of his own to pay, to die for the sins of humanity. So now the sin deal's done. He's dead. Sin's been paid for for whoever believes in him. But he didn't stay dead. That's the deal. That's the, that's the overcomer thing because he conquered death and hell and rose from the dead. So with that, we now have a relationship with him because of what he's accomplished, because of what he's done. He's proven his love. I know this is foundational doctrine. I know this is salvation you know, topic. But understand, this is relational reality every day. God loves you enough to die for you. 
that should change your view of you. That should change your view of you. Don't think you're something special. Don't think you're high and mighty compared to other people. You're, the only way you're special, quite honestly, is you're special in the eyes of God. And therefore, why do we not seek him, search him, and long to know him even more? I just want to encourage you, stay close to the one who loves you. We're going to wrap it up. Have the worship team come up. I'd like you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 12. Actually, 12 through 14. In Philippians chapter 3, we're reading, it's a, a reflection of a, a life, but it unveils a principle. The life was Paul. He looked in his life, much like David looked at his own life, and he realized this, I'm not done yet. I'm not perfect. I'm not complete. I ain't got it all together. And we would look at Paul like, you got it far more together than I do. But here's what he said. This is how I see it. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When he says, forgetting those things which are behind, you have to understand, I want you, first of all, I want you to forget um, a, a terrible event in your life. Just forget it, okay? But what's the problem with that? In order to know you forgot it, you'd have to remember it. You can't do it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I got to just forget this. So what could that possibly mean? Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to the things which are ahead. It, the word there speaks of to give neglect to. Normally, we think that is negative. You neglect something. But he's literally saying, neglecting those things which are behind you. They don't get the preeminence. They don't get the priority. Those things that hurt you and tore you up, that's behind you. They're still resident. They even form and shape your current decisions in a positive way, perhaps. But you're neglecting them. You're not giving the attention. What are you doing? I'm not giving my attention to them. I'm reaching forward to the things which are ahead. Will you stand with me? And let's close in a word of prayer with that thought and reality. God, may you show each one of us, not just in a, an emotional sense, in a rah-rah moment at the end of a message, but in the deepest part of our beings, may we realize and take hold of your work within us. Teach us what it means to let go of those things which are behind and lean, long, reach for what you have in store tonight, today in the days to come until we see you face to face. Lord Jesus, may you do that sweet work in our lives. May we press toward what you have for us. This upward call, beyond just the beautiful things in this world and the opportunities we have. Lord, our relationship with you, oh God, is so beautiful that you would call us, you would place upon our hearts a desire to live and work and be about your purposes. Thank you, God. And so, Lord, we sing this song to you. We praise you. We worship you. Believing that you who began a good work be faithful to complete it. And God, you know anyone here who hasn't yet come into that relationship with you, just pray for a stirring. 
work that they would realize they need your forgiveness and they would agree with you and just ask you to forgive them and lead their lives. Commit them to you, God. We commit to you our own lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.